to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's the real world. I choose to move on my life too. That's okay. It means something. It means something. My take with what's yours? Protonic Reversal! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. We are all up in your face. It is time for the one and only Protonic Reversal. I don't know why I did like a musical. Protonic reversal, uh, but I guess I'm just I'm feeling I'm feeling the music in my heart this morning. And why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Everybody, we have a fantastic guest. I'm going to be talking to Patty Schemmel today. That I'm I'm so excited about this. This is great. She's the author of the incredible book uh, "Hit So Hard," memoir of her time playing in the Hole and uh, coming up in punk rock in the Pacific Northwest and her struggles with addiction and industry. And it's just a, it's a fantastic book. Uh, she's also the subject of documentary by the same name that came out uh, some years back. And she's a powerhouse, man. Great drummer, great musician, uh, hilarious. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to oversell it. Like we'll, we'll, we'll see how I do. <laughs> but I'm really, really pumped to have her on and uh, really excited that she agreed to do it. It's uh, it's it's awesome, and okay. So real quick, especially for new listeners to the show or first-time listeners, uh, the name of the show is Code of Neutron's Protonic Reversal. You can find the archives at radioneutron.com. Uh, so Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Protonic Reversal to hear the shows sooner. Um, thanks to everyone who listens to the show for. Uh, sharing around, uh, letting everyone know it's something worth paying attention to, all that good stuff. So, uh, anyway, that is that. That is the housekeeping for today. I'm going to play a song, then we're going to come back with Patty. Uh, sound like a plan? Sounds like a plan. Let's do, uh, let's do this song, and then we'll come back with Patty. Here's Violet. And the sky was made of amethyst. And all the stars are just like little fish. You should learn when to go You should learn how to say no Get what they want 
Now we have none other than the ferocious drummer for that song, master of the drums herself, memoirist, memoirist, that's not right, author, I guess I could just say author, and general all-around badass, Patty Schemmel. Patty, welcome. Hi. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks. Yeah, believe it or not, I've done this show before. I'm just tripping on my own words because I'm very excited to have you. That's really what it is. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thanks. I've been starting all these shows during quarantine uh, just as like a general check-in. Uh, and just asking uh-huh. what folks are up to and, and how everyone's dealing just because it's it's somewhat of a <laughs> it's one of the rare universalist things that's happening right now. Uh, so yeah. I guess first question, general question is, uh, yeah, how are you holding up during quarantine? These are crazy times, unprecedented times. And- right. Yeah, really, it's up and down. You know, if I I I have been kind of creative a bit, you know, writing music on my laptop and trying to do something each day that you know, helps me feel better about things. But if, and if, if I get too far out and think too much about the world in a big picture way, it <laughs> yeah. gets too much. So I kind of have to like make it smaller and just go day by day. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. How about you? How are you doing? Oh, yeah. You know, about the same day to day battle, right? Uh, you know, some, yeah, some, yeah. some days are better than others. I think it's just, this is a rough time for anybody with an ounce of empathy. Uh-huh. I, I think. I mean, I guess if maybe you were, I don't know, a sociopath or something, you'd be fine. But if you have the, the, right. slight, the slightest empathy to the world at large, it's just, it's a, well, it's a harsh choke, as they say. Right. Yeah. I try to be open to whatever is going to happen. As far as what's going to change about the world, I really am um, trying to be open 
to that. Right. Uh, but also, um, I, I don't know. It's, you know, it's scary. So. Well, it's it's terrifying, yeah. but it's but it is uh-huh. literally one of the few times that we're all in this together, which is is, is something. Even though it right. some, sometimes maybe doesn't yeah. feel like that. <laughs> yeah, it's worldwide. Yeah. I, which is sad. Yeah, we we, all, we don't all react to it the same way, but we're all experiencing the same crap. Uh, right. <laughs> so uh, you you brought up something. I wasn't originally going to open with this, but I think it's very interesting. You you have been able to kind of be creative during these times. You've been able. To- yeah. Yeah. That yeah, kind of the things that I've always put off, like just making music with, um, you know, Ableton, let's say, like software and um, just getting into that and like seeing what I can make um, just with my laptop, you know, there's that also making things out of wood, woodworking. Oh, literally making and, things. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like really making stuff like with my, with my hands. Nice. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, uh, um, yeah, just those kind of things, drawing, whatever. It's weird. It's like, well, what do I got today? Um, so I'm just gonna, what can I do? Like, what do I feel like doing? I'll make, you know, I'll just draw a picture of, you know, my neighbor's yard. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's almost, it's almost like you, you just keep the momentum going of doing something that you have control over. Right. I mean, it's, it's like, that's that's a thing you have control over. Exactly. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's and it is yeah. it is funny. I've been definitely talking to a lot of folks, and I feel the same way as well. Is that it's sort of, oh yeah, remember all those rainy day projects? Well, it's raining. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the and things then, you said you were gonna uh, do. Well, <laughs> put up or shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna learn how to do karate or whatever. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> also, also just thinking about like you know, and it, also thinking about. Uh, uh, how how to um, you know have an income? You know what? Almost yeah. what what is going to be? What can I do to change my life where I can make an income within boundaries of the way we live today? And so what? You know, on one hand, that's kind of a little bit exciting. On the other hand, so depressing. One day it's good. One day it's like oh, it's daunting. You know, yeah, it's, um, it's thrilling um, in the way a game show where the loser dies is, you know, like, in a- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So then, uh, and I was mentioning too, that, you know, other folks I've talked to have, have talked about, you know, trying to find ways to be creative and, and, and do things uh, during these times. Uh, but some folks have found themselves blocked, like just like not able to do anything because there's just so much anxiety or stress uh-huh. or, uh, you know, general unease. Um, I mean, have you found that like, just like doing this stuff, like keeping, keeping like kind of a path forward of like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to do I, this I, today. <laughs> Has yeah. That sometimes. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't, I just don't leave the house. and don't do anything, you know? I mean, right. I mean mostly don't leave the house, but yeah, really just kind of, uh, frozen. <laughs> just um and it, yeah i some days are better than others i have to say and i don't um you know I, i'm grateful i have like you know like my girlfriend she and i have stuff we do that um you know the, the fun or whatever um but 
yeah, it's tough to be with the same person all the time too. So, like, <laughs> yeah, it puts it puts a little strain on a relationship. Yeah, thing, like the most, yeah, the most the smallest things become so big. Like, yeah. really? Why don't you just rinse out this pot in the sink? Yeah. Why do you have to? <laughs> I, I have I have no yeah. idea what you're talking about, but. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, and that's, I mean, you know, some psychiatrist is going to have a field day, like analyzing these quarantines and, you know, the stressors right. that they have on relationships and, uh, and things along those lines, I think, somewhere in the yeah, far future. I imagine what will, what will come from this, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, research whatnot i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of concept records about the quarantine probably which you know yeah yeah i'm staying away from that yeah (laughs) that's just so obvious right well i wrote this uh the i wrote this during quarantine i painted this during quarantine i I mean great but yeah good for you but i don't want to hear about that right now i really don't everybody's doing that yeah everybody's so I, okay. I I rather ineptly uh, because I was trying to troubleshoot something while I was doing it uh, introduced you as a memoirist, which I think is maybe a term that okay. I made up. Uh, but I think the yeah, correct... I think it's a word. Is it? Is yeah. it a word? Well, I think that might be someone is that it? does memoirs of like a bi- like a a bioist. I don't know. I don't. Even... Anyway, point of fact okay. is that uh, right. you just wrote a hell of a book. It's really good. Uh, well, not just Thank wrote, you. but somewhat recently wrote uh-huh. a, a hell of a book. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm. Uh, a connoisseur of rock autobiographies, uh, but I certainly read yeah. a lot of them, and I've read both good ones and bad ones, and it's really awesome. Like it's very well done. So Thanks. kudos for that. Thanks. Um, Thanks a lot. I found yeah. I, I thought it was awesome that you kind of started at the beginning, right? I mean, it's it's and for anyone that is not a Pacific Northwest person, uh, Marysville is is where yeah. you grew up, and you know, sort of like a third of the way from Seattle to Bellingham. Not exactly a cultural hotspot is the best way to put it. (laughs) Like Everett is like a a bigger town, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're all facts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when people, when people see somebody, you know, in a big famous band or, or that does a lot of stuff, they have this idea of, of their origins and the fact that you, that you very explicitly pointed out, it's like, oh yeah, there was not all hell of a lot going on. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it was, it was fascinating to me too, that, uh, you know, your parents came, did come from a metropolitan area and they chose to go right? to, I know, <laughs> which is I know. wild. They came from New York. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Why you just stay there? You know? <laughs> I had to grow up in the worst, yeah. Yeah. The worst, uh, sticks town ever. I, I think that all the time. Like, why didn't we just stay in, uh, Brooklyn? And then your place would be worth so much more now in Park Slope. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. It's like you could yeah. retire several times <laughs> over. Sure. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So my parents wanted to get out of the city. And so they went to the worst possible. I mean, well, now it's, you know, it's the Pacific Northwest. People love it. And I have to say, it was, wasn't bad growing up in, you know, beautiful air and trees and mountains, et cetera. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, it has a, rain and, it has its appeal, yeah. but it also has its you know seasonal effectiveness disorder and <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It has its downsides yeah. as well. Did they ever give a, yeah. a specific reason? Did they like throw a dart at a board? Like why did it, why was it Marysville? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think it was like because it was the farthest place away from New York possible, you know. And yeah. then they had that sort of they had that sort of fantasy of getting a beat up bus van and just driving across, you know, like 
just camp down under the sky. I don't know, some, something like that. And the, but I think that growing up in Seattle or outside of Seattle kind of created. I'm pretty sure a lot of us who played music there and are of that time. You know, like when when I came up playing music, we, that environment sort of created what uh, created our sound. You know, yeah. everybody had everybody had a house that was like the punk rock house with a basement. You know, and everybody had. Um, you know, had a bunch of bands that practiced in the basement of the punk rock house. And, um, so it created sort of these groups of people that would, you know, bands and, um, so, yeah, I guess, uh, it did, you know, we drank a lot and I don't know where, why, well, maybe because we're a port town city, you know, where yeah. that's why we did so many, you know, drugs were delivered by boats. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's something that I thought was interesting as well, because my own personal background, I'm, I'm from the Central Valley of California, which is, okay. you know, from a perspective of, of the uh, natural surroundings, very different, but culturally very much uh-huh. the same. The fact that it's, it's removed enough from major metropolitan areas that there's, you know, I, 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 at the time I grew up anyway, just a, a culture of abject boredom sort of people are just uh-huh. drinking for something to do or, you know, doing drugs or whatever. And then, you know, just casual intolerance, <laughs> racism, sexism, yeah. homophobia, you know, just casual. Uh-huh. Yeah. Keep it cash. Yeah. 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 Similar to what's happening now. Yeah, exactly. Which, which now all that stuff is just laid bare and, and, and out there, but anyone yeah, that, anyone that grew up in a, uh, you know, small to medium sized town, like knows that that was always there underneath the surface. Um, yeah. and I thought, oh, so where I was going to that, I thought the book did a fantastic job of painting that picture that, you know, you were in this position where everything that you did with punk rock was, you know, hard fought and almost met with resistance just by nature of the, uh, of the surroundings and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sojourns into, uh, <laughs> into Seattle or whatnot were somewhat of a, you know, a, a luxury. Uh, and then, yeah. and I also thought it was interesting to like th- where I'm getting at with this is that, uh, there's, it's kind of, an, there's an acceptability of, uh, you know, parents separating, getting a divorce and whatever, and having like multiple households and stuff now that just, it kind of seemed like that was still a bit of an aberration around, around then. And I really found it interesting that you talked about the family dynamic, uh, between your mom and your dad, yeah. Uh, and, you know, spending time in, in Seattle, spending time back in Marysville, the sort of like round robin situation of everything moving yeah. around. Uh, it's a lot of chaos. And yeah, I think a lot of musicians uh, and artists are, are kind of hesitant about sharing that. And I, I thought it was very brave and very cool of you to, to throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, that's what, why, what created, um, I think my interest in, um, that, uh, drive to look for different things. You know, my, my, when my parents were divorced and reality sets in, you know, I'm a, there's more alone time, right? It's not like the family unit anymore. So that's when I started to explore things like, um, you know, watching late night, you know, like seeing David Bowie on SNL or right. fear or, you know, and just sort of like pursuing, um, a little more time to look at different and, have these feelings and identify with um, 
just art and music that was um, that I didn't see every day. You know, it wasn't Fleetwood Mac on the FM radio. You know, it was something that was edgy and scary, and I felt like connected to it. You know. Um, yeah, and I and I also feel that you you painted a great picture of, you know, when you, when you're in a smaller town with a sort of a smaller pool, especially, you know, if you're coming up as a non <laughs> cis heteronormative person, right? Mm-hmm. It's a much smaller pool, and it's thing you know it's not yeah. it, it, it's a difficult road, and you just don't. Yeah, I, I guess amongst uh, I was gonna say you don't hear those stories, and you do, but you don't hear those stories as part of the greater whole. Usually you hear those stories as like, here is my story of how I grew up queer, you know? And it's like, that's fantastic. But I thought it was interesting and cool that it just weaved effortlessly into your narrative because it is obviously an important part of who you are, but you just don't hear that a lot. Like as a part being, um, that was just a part of me, but the whole, there's more, because I hear that story a lot of like, you know, the queer that grew up in the, small town and thought to get out, you know, and then became, you know, an amazing, you know, playwright on Broadway or whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so what What you're saying is that it's uh, part of the, wait, repeat that. What were you saying? What do you mean? Well, just, just that, uh, like, the more that these... The, those stories get uh, get out there, and the, the more that it yeah. becomes something that's accepted as normal, then you can kind of like look at that as an example. Like, so if a young person that's right. in a similar situation can be like, well, you know, Patty Schemmel got out, and then yeah. she had this entire yeah. you know, career in music right. and did all this rad stuff. Yeah. That's awesome because that provides yeah. like, a, a, and that's what, path. yeah, that's what I when I go out and I play shows with fans these days or do anything or when when I was out with the book, a lot of people would come up and say. Thank you for coming out, you know, and yeah. um, because there, there wasn't a lot of, you know, musicians that came out or, or, you know, artists that came out at the time. And and I thought that, too, about I wish that I had someone to look up to or, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, totally. it was okay, yeah, so yeah. I didn't feel like such a freak. You know, you can't, you can sniff around Joan Jett all you want, but she's not going to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or all those, but um, so it was important to talk about it for me. And then, um, and now, you know, it's a, more than norm. Um, but uh, that was part of what made me, um, you know, what made me an angry kid or, you know, a, a, such a drive to, to play drums and to do something different um, was, I felt different and I wanted to, um, I wanted to somewhere find my people, you know, and punk rock and, um, was where I found them. You know, there's a lot more people that were, um, playing with different sort of, um, gender roles and, um, music style and, you know, being more, a little more, uh, fancy. Well, well, it's, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's any, mystery why you know gay bars and drag shows and, and whatnot have are so inextricably linked with uh, punk rock because it's like they're going to be like the most accepting folks in the world as long as you aren't a total jerk because it's like the whole thing is just accepting you who you are and it's fascinating to me that and i think you brought up a really good point there's certain people that they come out you know and you're like yeah no shit we all knew you know <laughs> like that's uh-huh. yeah. yeah not a shocker but it, it's something that it's hard to describe for the younger listeners. 
it, it wasn't nearly as common. Uh, and mm-hmm. especially among people with like a larger cultural cachet or profile, you know, it was a big deal. And I mean, it's still a big yeah. deal. Don't get me wrong. And it shouldn't be. But, yeah. you know, I, I remember. I was, oh, go ahead. Sorry. It was a struggle for me. I remember coming out and then finding, um, you know, finding, going out to shows and stuff. It's all straight, you know, and it's all straight. And also yeah. it's a bit of misogyny. And, and I've got to say the the Seattle music that um, dude heavy, you know, and like not <laughs> um, <laughs> totally. And, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was tough for me to, you know, find someone like you know, like a girlfriend or like they were. There wasn't. I couldn't. They weren't into the same things I was into. So that was another thing. Um, and now there's, you can. I, I feel like there's lesbians that listen to everything and. You, Music is more open, and you know it's not just about disco. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Too, Having this, this yeah. is the acceptable genre to like if you are, are this type of person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to go find a girlfriend at a mudhoney show, for sure. Right. Well, so. And so you, you brought up in, in an early part of the book, you talked about, you know, uh, going to go see Beastie Boys. And I thought that, <laughs> I thought that was an yeah. incredible story. And also something that not, not to turn back around on me, but that's something that I only recently kind of started to think about. It, like, oh, yeah, like that must have been completely uncomfortable for, you know, yeah. uh, for people that and aren't then, me. And then, and then, you know, and yeah. then all my, of course, all my queer friends were like, yeah, no shit. But <laughs> yeah, I know. And it, I didn't, it was the first time I realized, whoa, you know, and it like, I'd always like really push down all these, my feelings of not being feeling sort of awkward around, you know, that, that why do men get to do more than I, you know, that whole fucked up dichotomy, just why I just felt so other. And so, um, that moment at that Beastie Boys show with, you know, I was in a band with, for people that don't know the story, I was in a band with uh, three guys and it was a punk rock band. And we decided to go into Seattle to see the Beastie Boys because Murphy's Law was opening. Right, and right. Who are so, they? They're, they're, they're hardcore buddies. Uh, right. Right. So we go to the show and, you know, Murphy's Law is great and then Beastie Boys. And then they come out and they start pouring beer on the stage and telling, you know, girls to come up and, you know, wipe up the beer and um, just really... Uh, and girls were doing it, you know, and I was yeah. just so angry because the guys in my band were like, yeah, not the reaction you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get in the van and we're going home and I'm like, whoa, you guys, that was fucked, yeah. you know, and they're like, what? Chill out. And I'm like, no. Uh-uh. And that was the moment I was like, uh-uh, no, this is not cool. Um, and credit where credit's due, the Beastie Boys, you know, have more many times over. They've they've you know made apologies and and explained and give contextual, and then also just said like it's inexcusable. Uh, and yeah, that's that's fine, but it doesn't help that it was a manifestation of inter- like internalized misogyny for the you know not just American but world culture at the time, and pretty freaking gross, honestly. Yeah, and also, I mean, I have to say, even though it was sort of a weird way to get there. Thank you, Beastie Boys. Yeah, <laughs> get to my first like one of the many but more realizations of my feminist self. Yeah. What I will tolerate, what I won't tolerate, was because of them, and it you know. So that's a. a yeah, and and, and yeah. you know, if you think of punk rock as like a, you know, like an avenue of discovery uh, of self and actualization towards, 
becoming the kind of person that that you want to be, you almost need those adversarial moments to help define yourself against, right? Yeah. As much as it may not seem like it at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't know it then, but yeah. So another thing that I learned from the book and I really enjoyed uh, was I wasn't aware that you had such a long musical relationship with your brother, which I think is so interesting with, uh, with Larry. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know him? No, no, I don't, I don't, but, um, I mean, he's, he seems completely awesome. And it was fascinating to me that, uh, like you've been playing with him since you were like a kid, right? I mean, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's been like this long musical relationship that, uh, you know, your siblings and like, it, that's, Mm-hmm. Kind of awesome because I, I don't know, like I, I that's that's fascinating to me. I, when I think of you know musical families or whatnot, I'm not like the Partridge family or something. It's it's or the Carpenters, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Carpenters, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, well, he was like you know when in my early discovery of of music and you know he, we we exchanged. You know, it was uh, he would find something and share it with me, and I would find something and share it with him. And um, I remember when I met. Bruce Cabot from Sub Pop, um, hanging out with Bruce, and Bruce was just starting Sub Pop, and he just he put out that compilation. Uh, was it the Sub Pop One Hundred or yeah, yeah, it's a, and, yeah, and, yeah. Was, and so he, Bruce was like, "I'm starting at the, the label, and you know, Mud Honey's you know, going to re-release this Green River record, and I'm going to put out this Mud Honey single. Um, it was the Touch Me on Six single, and uh, we talked about music, and he said, "Oh, you should listen to this," and he gave me a uh, Spaceman 3 record, The Perfect Prescription, and then uh, in Sofa Rosa, and you know, I went, and Dinosaur Jr., You're Living All Over Me, and I brought those home, and Larry came over, and I was like, listen to this, and we played, and like, Larry like, flipped out, went out, and got a, a Fender Jaguar, just like, you know, the, who is it, Sonic Boom, whoever is playing the guitar on the cover of that Spaceman 3 record. Oh, yeah, um, of course, yeah, yeah. And it just, so it just totally like changed, um, you know, uh, our whole life, you know, like what he shared with me and what I shared with him as far as music and, um, style. And he's more of a reader than like a facts guy. He's like a collector type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm not like that, but, um, <laughs> so yeah. So we started playing music together and we wanted to talk, we wanted to like make music that we liked listening to and, you know, so it was like, you want to make a Spaceman 3 band? Um, and it was easy for me to kind of communicate my ideas to him because I could just say, make it sound like, you know, uh, Velvet Underground, blah, 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 you know, instead of, yeah. So it was really, like, we both spoke the same language. Yeah, and have that so, same shorthand because you kind of you know, listen to the same records, right? right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And so, and yeah. that was, uh, and the band you had, uh, it was Sybil, right? Which, um, yeah, Sybil. And, and you, I, you renamed like it, though, every to, single. To, uh, later on, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. We changed it to Kill Sybil because there was a, a singer-songwriter woman in Seattle named Sybil. But it seems every time I'm in a band with Larry, it starts out, we get going, we get some momentum, and then I move on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Like, just works out that way. Huh? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So then Larry takes it and goes his own way with it. But um, so yeah, he's one of my favorite guitar players. Yeah, interesting, interesting player, and it's it's something that uh, you know you you guys sort of ongoing relationship. Again, I think that, I think the book does a good job of uh, of, of showing that and and showing that. 
you know, with with something of a tumultuous childhood, uh, that, that you know that was a constant that you guys could like geek out on music together, yeah. and I thought that was that you know that yeah. was so cool because that's yeah we had that together growing up, and we also like we loved Kiss. I know the band, we loved Kiss the band. We were obsessed with Kiss, and so we would talk about that. <laughs> like that was our like meeting point too. It was like getting Kiss posters and talking about Kiss records and like uh, yeah. Didn't your yeah. mom take you to see them in like '79 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My fam- yeah, family, our whole family went family and outing to so go see Kiss. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now you know Larry will call me up and we'll make jokes about stuff. You know, like um, and we'll look at old pictures of Kiss and like, did you see that pic of Ace sitting at Peter's drums? You know, and it's like we always like he's the only person that it would get that why certain things are funny and, you know, like, or, or like, you know, like Buzz and Dale and the Melvins, they know why there's certain things that are funny. They, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and meeting them and knowing like they were like us too, you know, they were kids fans and, um, and they, and like early on did that great cover of Parasite. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah. And, um, uh, going blind and, uh, yep. there's, I mean, there's a few. Oh, uh, God of Thunder too. That God of Thunder one is probably my favorite of the bunch of them. Which, uh, yeah. which that one always sound kind of cartoony to begin with. What I, I like that right. you had the the whole thing when um, I think it was when you I can't remember if it was when you played with them or saw them, but you it was back when they had the van. Uh-huh. You know the okay. van. Uh, (laughs) that that had like the kiss mural on the side and i love that there's a story where they're you know someone florida or something was like are you in the band kiss and they're like yes yes we are and they were like doing laundry or something and it's like yeah kiss is doing their laundry at your local florida laundromat sure yeah that in that that band that i was in that that punk rock band you were called the primitive we, Primitives, yes. Um, yes. The, the ones that, uh, that's the, the one we went to see, the Beastie Boys. That we played a show with Melvin, and that's when I saw the van that night. Yeah. And it's weird to think and about, then, but that's totally like a shorthand of like, aha, found my people. Uh, that, you know, right. Maybe, yeah. maybe less so Again. now, but at the time. <laughs> yeah. And there was like a certain sense of humor that went along with it, you yeah. know? And like Kurt was like that too. Right. Well, I had a certain sense of humor, um, but we, you know, we shared the same sort of musical interest and style. Yeah, and well, and that's something where contextualizing Kiss could be a whole different podcast uh, in and of itself, right? But uh, yeah. I think it's something where. It's it's kind of seen as another thing now, like for like when the replacements did a you know what was a black diamond on that record. It was something where, right. you know, Kiss wasn't, like, in the conversation. It was like, oh, Kiss? No. Ugh, jeez. Right. Yeah. Not even, like, like novelty. Um, I remember Gene Simmons coming around it, like, in the 90s, when there was, like, a festival, like, a radio festival. And Gene Simmons was, like, floating around, like, backstage and stuff. And it was, like, Sonic Youth was playing. And it wasn't, it was, like, why is he here, you know? And I, and it wasn't, but... I mean, of course, I went up to him and said, "Can I get a picture?" Like the only right, right. <laughs> but uh, it, which was fine. But well, yeah, it wasn't like. When was this that this yeah. happened? That was. Uh... Yeah, this was like ninety three. Oh, okay. So you already, yeah, yeah you you already had your yeah. own career going on. You weren't just a random right. fan, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. although I'm sure he gets that from random fans all the time too. You know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> 
so having nothing to do with with Kiss, uh, the so you you got the the primitives. You have a, what is it? The Milk Bones. Um, yeah, that was my first band. That was your first band. You know, you know that band that you play in the high school, right? Cafeteria. <laughs> you, know. you, you, everyone starts mm-hmm. somewhere, right? Um, right. <laughs> yeah, you're in a few bands. Uh, if I remember, remember correctly, uh, it was it was uh, Dylan Carlson, right? That uh, kind of mm-hmm. made the introduction uh, for you to yeah. for for Courtney and for for Hole, and and you originally yeah. played with him in Jabberjaw. Like at the Jabberjaw. Yeah, yeah, I was in. I moved to San Francisco, and I was living there like a couple months. And um, they, Dylan called me and said, um, Kurt, um, "Courtney's looking for drummers. Kurt was telling her about you. Um, you want to try out?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, give them my number and stuff." So then Eric called me and sent me a bunch of. You know, like sent me their singles in the first record, and so then I went down to Jabber Job because that was like they didn't have a, an official rehearsal space. I guess that's where they were rehearsing, and uh, we played. Um, I set up my drums and played there, and we did like, like a Wipers song and some cool songs. Yeah, and it's and it's sort of you know for <laughs> for folks that maybe weren't into music uh, post ninety seven, it's kind of hard to overstate the importance of of jabberjaw <laughs> you know from that 89 uh-huh. to like uh, mid 90s yeah jabberjaw was like that uh, it was an all ages club which was great but in a coffee house which uh, there wasn't anything like it in LA cuz that was more like Olympia Seattle had those right. kind of places but yeah, yeah. but not LA so it was really important to have that that you know and i saw a lot of bands there and it was just cool um, well, and it's funny that like that's the, the story of, you know, you and uh, Courtney and Eric playing for the first time was also, you know, th- there's a lot of bands that like had their first start like, oh, yeah, we, pl-, you know, we rehearsed for the first time at Jabber, like Babyland the same way. Like, it's, really? it's, it's interesting that, um, you know, yeah, again, and I think you hit an important point. It's definitely more of a Pacific Northwest thing than a, than an L.A. thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, when you when you actually, you know, sat down uh, on the drums to uh to start playing like was it something where like what what was what was going through your mind because you you're working a day job too that's that's what i think is really super compelling about this story is like this wasn't like you were just like an idle musician like hitting your sticks on things like waiting around for the call uh uh, as much as at the time i was in a in san francisco was working at like this medical supply warehouse you know um packing boxes and stuff and i was in a band called dumbhead with debbie shane who was Dale Crover's girlfriend at the time in right. San Francisco. So we shared, a, um, I was playing Dale's drums and I sat and, and practiced those really whole songs on Dale's drums, which was like a marching snare with like a Kevlar drum head. That was, it was like, you know, his kid's a monster. So, right. um, and, uh, I love talking to him about that time, like learning those songs on the big monster kit. Um, <laughs> right. <and yeah>. So, <laughs> um, so there, the Melvin's crossed paths, and uh, with, with me and, and and Kurt Nirvana and Hole. Um, so uh, then I go to, um, yeah. Then I went down and did. So I sat down my drums, and we did. Um, I think Eric would just call out like a, you know, did, what did you listen to, and what do you know? And I remember not really knowing everything exactly, you mm-hmm. know, but yeah, yeah, just sort of. Um, 
just sort of just playing. And, and then after we did the Wiper song, I knew the Wiper song was um, Over the Edge. And then after that, I think it was like, Eric was like, well, that's how you should play that song. You know, that's how, that's cool. I, it wasn't much for giving compliments, Eric, but... Yeah, yeah. It's like if you if you get a a sentence out of him, it's like really like a novella, you know. (laughs) Well, and that's and it's funny because you know eventually you did um, you did record that eventually, right? That was on that EP, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Uh, that was. um, I think um, that's uh, the Carolyn Wu recording. Carolyn played it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So, so so was was there a recording of that at the time when you practiced or? Yeah, that they had just put it out. That was the um, they, everybody had done a bunch of wipers covers, and it, there was like a, a that's right. box set. God, I have that thing. And, I'm um, sorry. I'm just... And yeah, and so Carolyn played that, and then um, that was something we wanted to do. But we never revisited it though until years later. We never even played it live when we did sort of surprise show in Brooklyn where it was like the screening of the documentary we, I made. And then afterwards, it was sort of like a surprise show where Courtney showed up and we did Over the Edge. Oh, no years. way. That's, uh, so that's like all yeah. those years later. It's like uh, yeah. 20 and then years we later like, or something? Like maybe it was like the period at the end of the sentence. And, right. and it was like, I remember James, I'm, I asked James McNew to come up and play and James from Yola Tango and he just picked up the bass and just nailed it. It was yeah. like just a driving Mack truck of a bass part and and we did it was so cool and like Courtney you know saying like the chorus or something, I can't remember. but yeah that's so funny to have that be like you know one of the first things that you play and then like have it yeah like like you said like a period yeah that's so rad yeah yeah i'm a a really big wipers fan so uh i I love any story that hears like of the wipers bringing folks together uh but Yeah. yeah but getting back to that original um yeah, the original session. Like, what, what was what was your takeaway? With like, I mean, obviously you you like the tunes, you know, enough to to, to yeah. do it. Like, what was and what was your takeaway? Yeah, my um that day the takeaway was um kind of I don't know the, like I really liked that um pretty on the inside, but it was noisy. It's a noisy yeah, record. It's a it's aggressive record. Um, noisy aggressive record. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I felt like kind of comfortable with it. Um and. Um, I, Courtney kind of explained a bit of what the, that they wanted to, well, Eric more so about the, how they wanted to streamline things, uh, you know, have songs a little, have more of a verse and a chorus and that. Um, and then they played me the Nisa, like there's some like demos, mm-hmm. bootleg demos of Violet and Doll Parts. And that's like, I, I really, latched onto those because they were just amazing cool songs yeah like and, could you could you just hear it from the demo they're like yeah this is going to be a monster yeah, song yeah and, I, and yeah. that was really interesting and wanted to start you know and then it began um just getting together and playing um just kind of making up songs whenever i was with courtney when she would come and we would just sort of like jam you know but then i was with eric and we would just attack all the old songs and work on learning, um, you know, Dick Nail, which was fun. But, yeah. you know, we, I don't think we ever played it because I'd learn all those songs and then Courtney didn't want to play them. Yeah, she was really. like, no, we're doing this now. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. And she, but she literally does not like to play anything old. It's like she wants to keep on going. <laughs> Yeah, and, and in that well, I mean, I guess in that period, I mean, didn't she eventually like sort of say something about how like she was not super stoked on the first record retroactively, and that like it was like more like a calling card or something? I remember she said something about yeah. it was. Yeah, and I think what it, it was like a uh, wanting to be more maybe raw, like mud honey, but also yeah. like um, in, in competition with Cab Yelland as well. And, um, yeah, and that, like, I think everyone, I do it, too, is where I have these goals, you know, like, when I was a kid, it was like, I want to play a show at the Vogue Cavern, you right. know, or whatever, and then <laughs> yeah, you yeah, meet yeah. that goal, and then you're like, oh, my God, that was a goal, and yeah, then yeah. you move on, you know, it's like, <laughs> I want a sub-pop single, you know, and then you get yeah. it, and then you're like, oh, okay, and then, you know, I want to, you know, the movie, the movie, whatever, I want this kind of drum kit, so I think it's like that, you know, she had... Um, goal to and and Eric too Um, and so, like Eric's really proud of that record. He did a lot of. I, I, I think it's underrated. I mean, I think it's something that's it's kind of been like lost to history a little bit, and it's. I think it's a shame because it's, you know, it's again, it, if you, it's a, it's a raw, brutal record. But if you're the kind of person that can get down with that, you know, it's songs are good. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't hit the same as it as it does in the next one. That's for sure. I mean, because that was just. Uh, <laughs> You know, emblematic of the times and you know it's it managed to take like a lot of that raw power and aggression but put it to like a major pop sensibility yeah. and that's something that right. again it's uh, for the younger listeners that wasn't always the case <laughs> that wasn't always done and uh that, that this yeah. was this was during the that those times which i frequently call the gold rush of uh you know weird rock <laughs> that's what i say too the golden years yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you have the songs, uh, the songs for the, the for Live Through This kind of are, are coming together. You're kind of getting getting to know Eric and Courtney uh, as people. You know, there's a, there's a lot of hangs mm-hmm. as well as, <laughs> as yeah. playing. Yeah. At what point did you start to feel like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. I kind of know who these folks are and what, and what they're looking for. And when did you... I guess the crux of that is when did you stop feeling like you were like an outsider or something along those lines? Yeah. Well, I mean, I felt pretty comfortable like as like a, like musically and where the place I come from is this is really similar to a place like where Courtney com- comes from, you know, like right. musically and literally geographically. Um, I mean, there's differences of course, but like, and, and musically we were all, we all agreed on the same Thing. And we had, we had the same sort of influences. Um, Eric was so much, was really um, a taskmaster. That was like, um, really, like I needed that sort of like. The major domo uh, sort of situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we need to, yeah, we need to, um, we're going to rehearse from then to then, you know, and work hard. And so, like, yeah, it, I mean, as soon as I started getting learning songs and stuff and then like probably after we recorded the first time me and eric and courtney at um word of mouth studios in um seattle's a small place um like all the with jack and dino it was like all the sub pop records were recorded there yeah 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 legendary studio yeah for sure yeah and we did a beautiful sun which 
Um, it's still my favorite song to play. And yeah, good tune, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, then we just sort of had some ideas that we recorded um, and made songs out of it. And, and, and you I played, you played like some guitar in the B side of that, too, right? If I remember correctly? Um, no. I just played, no, I played drums on everything. And Courtney played bass. Oh, um, God, that's what Kurt I was thinking of. Yeah, sorry. Like my production. <laughs> like, Kurt listened with Jack and Dino, and, like, I remember doing a, a take of drums, and, like, I flipped, I took a drum fill, that, and I flipped it around in a part, and it, it was weird sounding. And then I was like, oh, I guess we'll do that over, and Kurt was like, no, it sounds so cool. Keep right. it. <laughs> and, uh, that, so I love those moments when I go back and I listen and I hear that, and I hear that part, and I go, oh, yeah, I remember that moment. It's so cool, you know? To keep it and you know make me think of him so it's, it's like a special thing but that was um that was like the moment in that recording and actually putting my you know drum stamp on this band and this new music you know that, that was i think where i started to feel um that i was in this band you know yeah and that's a and that's a wonderful so i have the cd single somewhere uh, <laughs> I have no, and it's in a box probably like with the rest of the CDs, but yeah, I remember that one being kind of like a kind of, Oh wow, this is, this is cool. Cause I was a fan of the first, of the first record. And that was the one that kind of almost announced that, Hey, this, this band is going to do something really interesting coming up uh, in retrospect. You know what I mean? Like not that, that this stuff before yeah. wasn't interesting. Don't get me wrong. But uh, so who, wait, who, who played bass on that? Cause that was uh, before Kristen was playing. That was uh, Oh, you said Courtney. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think, I think she, or she might, it could have been Eric too, but I think it might've been Courtney or it could have been Jack and Dino. You know, that's where I'm at. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, but exactly. I know she, she, she played bass on a, we did a germs cover. For, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, yeah. She yeah. played bass. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, so, and that's that's when things start to feel like beyond musically comfortable, just like comfortable as you know, with the personalities involved. And uh, yeah, personal. I mean, you're never really comfortable. Yeah, never comfortable really with Courtney. I mean, you never know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you can make her laugh and you're funny and you know you're you're clever, you know, she'll you expect that. So. And we, you know, we had a lot of, um, like, there was, like, obscure Seattle band music or Portland references, which I couldn't remember now, but that I would make a joke out of and she would think it's funny because no one else knows about that or, you know, <laughs> right. that kind of stuff. Narrow-casted um, humor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff about, you know, Tales of Terror. So there's that. And then Eric's always been a real sort of, he's guy i guess but super friendly and uh, he's all about um he works like his craft and he's so about his um he kept the band together sort of like yeah i think it's very super of, of everything yeah, I, I mean, I think you you made an interesting picture and it, it helped contextualize some of the stuff with eric that you know him being like the sober one and him being kind of like yeah not necessarily the taskmaster but yeah just the one kind of like making sure the ship <laughs> keeps moving forward, that people get where they're supposed yeah. to be, you know, like just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I always call yeah. that like the band dad or band mom, you know, just the, the band right. parent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is yeah. it won't win you any awards, but it's very important. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, so that's the, uh, so that's the first single. So then, I believe it was, it was it was it Doll Parts or Miss World that came next. It was a uh, as a single. I'm trying to remember. Um, it was Miss World. Miss World was the first single. That's right. That's right. Okay, so this is uh, uh, like when you said you you heard that you heard the song uh, in demo form. From when you heard of the demo to how you were recording it, were you like, man, this could be like big, like not mean, like punk um, rock big, but like big, big. Doll Park? You mean Doll Park? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Because I just, the lyrics and, you know, the, the, the notes and, you know, it, I didn't, I don't really think there was going to be drums. Uh, I mean, how it was going to evolve, but couldn't wanted drums in there and sort of trying to, you know, work out fitting them in and where so um plus you know, dynamically like when um it was and uh maybe the first time that there was thoughts about playing softly and using dynamics you know yeah yeah, and yeah building and like so it was really like we had this really great um because it explodes it just it just it, yeah it, it just it, yeah. it it when it when it hits it like hits <laughs> it hits hard yeah. as it turns out yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I didn't mean to break up your flow there at, at all, but yeah, like it, it, it seems like it would be, I guess where I'm going with it is like, it seems like it, it, you know, it's a good tune, like on an acoustic guitar or something, but it, it becomes anthemic when, and, and the, the drums add so much to it. Like it's something where like, it seems like it'd be a very different song that would be perceived differently if it was, you know, a more yeah. sedate. And I, I feel like the more we, more we played it live, the more I felt really at home with it and really could take the ending and make it huge. Yeah. Um, and there was like one show I remember playing, always like Walla Blues in Chicago, where just, you know, there's these moments here and there that you remember. And like, I remember the ending of Doll Parts being like, just like a rocket, you know? And it was yeah. like, everything sounded good. That, like I had a huge buildup that, and it was just amazing. And I, um, yeah, and I listen to the recorded version now, and I think about, um, I, I think I've, I've mentioned this before in the recording, you can hear two takes that were kind of, you know, pushed together. Um, right, right. I don't know if drummers even talk about this, but I, I don't care. Um, you, listen, you can hear one snare drum sound in the beginning. And there's and a different snare drum later, later. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like way o- more open. And yeah. like, like, we went from a regular, like a, a five deep, snare to a, like the extra deep you know um super loud snare but it was you definitely securing the difference between the two if you're a drummer or you, you know listen for those things you'll hear it but um yeah but the average listener doesn't go, doesn't pay any attention to that, and that's not the only song that that is the case with, too. I mean, yeah, it's definitely sure if you're listening for it, you're like, oh yeah, but it's in the same way of like ACDC Livewire. Like you can hear uh-huh. like when the channels get unmuted, like on that on the really quiet part. Oh, it's the really? same thing. Yeah, if you do, if you listen to that, like oh right, put on that record and listen to it, and right okay. when it, nah, 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 you can hear uh-huh. the unmute of the channels. It actually makes me excited every time I hear it because it's so like, yeah. oh, that's <laughs> bad. <laughs> um, it was um, a, uh, if you're want, blind, I think, or for those of us, rock, one of those two was. Has riffraff. That was the first song I learned to play on the drums. Yeah, that's um, you know what I meant. I meant to talk about that because that was something where you couldn't just throw up your YouTube. You had to, you know, literally put the needle yeah, on the record. Yeah, literally, 
Finally, <laughs> yep, our old record player and drop the needle and the big headphones and then drop the needle. And we keep, you know, going yeah. over and over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> how, how it is now, kids. You got it easy. No, it isn't. <laughs> you do. <laughs> but I thought that was that was such a relatable thing, because, you know, just because that's, that's, that's if you wanted to play along to something, that's that's how you had to do it. It wasn't mm-hmm. even a question of doing it any other way. That was just, that was how it was done. And if you wore out that mm-hmm. part of the record a little more, well, you wore out that part of the record a little more. And that's just, yeah. that's how it worked. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but it's funny you mentioned the um, the different snare sounds because I, I think I listened to that song for about five or six years before uh, somebody pointed that out to me. And I thought it was rad. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I thought that was just an aesthetic choice. It was, you know, it was like, yeah. oh, we're going to just do this because fuck you. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wanted that. You could say that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's, all, all, the, <laughs> all sounds are intentional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it was it clear to you when, after you uh, tracked that song that um, you know again it, it evolved live it, you became more comfortable with it and it became more live as as a lot of good songs do but yeah. did did you did you have the feeling at the time like okay we've god we made something special there like that's that's pretty that's pretty I, rad i really i was really proud of the the work and the songs and the, what we did um i but it was hard to you know have any kind of perspective really because when you know up against Nirvana, you know leagues away, like what happened to them, right? So, and it doesn't—that's not what happens to everybody, you know. And right, um, yeah. And there's, there's, and that idea of um, that, like, you know, uh, you know, like people would say, "Well, this is a really good art record," or is this you know, like you never know what? I I just <laughs> was excited. I think at the time to like play on a record and like be able to say you know this is my i'm playing on a record and this is my band you know yeah cool. yeah and to be able to have um you know have a little bit of like so much time in the studio was the first time i was able to like sit at my drums and like play out different snare drums and like all that you know goofy stuff and like kind of excited about that but then keeping um thoughts about the future really sort of um, you know, kind of taking it day by day and not trying to get too far ahead. I think it was because there, I had no idea, you know, and it really, um, it, it, what it became, what it became, you know, and I hear more about, um, it, it's really hard to, to get any sort of, um, gauge on, uh, like how big the song was being in there with right. it. Cause it's but water now you. you're I, in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, but now I kind of know when people come up and say, um, you know, what the song meant or what the record meant and how, uh, you know, and uh, just people that went on to become like, just uh, like, you, like this woman who's like a, uh, Hillary Clinton speech writer. Okay. She comes up and says, Hey, you know, I'm like, what? She tells me about how much whole meant to her and, um, how she heard Miss World on the radio when she was a kid in D.C., and now she had the, the, a picture of Hole up in, you know, the Oval Office, her office up, you know, like where our songs went, the people that it influenced and what they went on to become, and then when they come and tell, talk to me about what 
you know, our songs when we were kid. It's so amazing, you know, you have yeah. no idea. And that's, that's not what you want, you know. I mean, maybe, you know, I didn't become a millionaire, but, like, it's cool to know that something I did ended up in the Oval Office somehow. By, you know, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Hey, not oh, bad. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, you know, or, you know, just, like, being visible as a um, a woman playing drums, you know. Yeah, tell, tell that to and, your, you know, teenage self playing along with Riff Raff, you know. <laughs> right. I know. I, I do that when I, 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 you know, I do some storytelling, you know, when I talk about the moment that I, you know, sometimes, like, there's moments in playing in Hole where I'm, like, freaked out. Like, we played the Phoenix Festival. It's, like, 70,000 people. And it was my first huge festival. And I remember being, like, frozen, a, you know, and just going out and sitting at my drums and, like that's a place I've been I've been in that spot a million times you know sitting at my drums and, um, so if I just remember where I used to you know where I came from the first time I sat at my drums I'll be okay you know and just yeah. don't look up and just you know <laughs> and, and, and it works you know yeah keep focused on what you're doing well and that's right right so one of the yeah. again one of the many things I think that you do really well in the book is provide that type of like internal commentary uh, with self-awareness, but also with an assuredness that like, you know, you did the work to get there and it's not like you ever yeah. discounted that. And I feel like that's something that some folks get into their head about and they feel like they have to like short sell their own skills or accomplishments. And there's, there's no easy way to say this, but I think as you know, one of the, a, a powerful lady drummer, right? I think it's important mm-hmm. that you have that authority that like, you know, you have this, you know, this, this humor and, you know, idea of mm-hmm. self-awareness, but also like you're a badass, own it. <laughs> and you can have yes. both, I, both of those ideas in your head at the same time. I guess that's where I'm getting. Yeah. And it, 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 which I didn't, I didn't feel it at the time, I think. And now that I'm older and I, I can I can feel it that yeah that was that was there's some amazing things and um yeah that but it took a while to get, I think get there with yeah. it, you know to think that um what I did was um you know I guess just because being in it like again like the water you're in it you don't know it's just you're struggling but we're still you know yeah. all that um but I felt like somewhere inside there's that that one push, like I wanted to be, um, at, with that drive at first when I was a kid was I was angry, you know, I was an angry kid. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I would hit my drums and then get it out. And then like, then I wanted to be respected and then I wanted to be the best drummer and then like all these things and, and they, you use them to like navigate. Um, yeah. And so I felt so lucky that I was, um, yeah able to and, you know, make it my job. So, yeah, and reconcile it. Yeah. And that's something where that's... Exactly. That's that's the key, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And the, like to come full circle and then be able to go, yeah, I, I love playing drums again. You know, like, I mean, got, there was a struggle there. But um, I, the original idea behind playing drums is still, still love doing. I still get inspired when I hear you know, bad and I love what I'm listening to. I want to play it, you know. Yeah, and, and that's something where 
again, so the other, it, it's weird because they're very different books, but are you familiar with uh, John Fine from Bitch Magnet? Uh, uh-huh. He, he uh, wrote a book, yeah, like, what, five years ago, something along those lines. Interesting format, and I thought it expressed a, a, a certain perspective and ethos you just don't hear about too often, and that made it interesting as a as autobiography or memoir. And in that same way, I feel like yours is almost because of all the self-awareness and, and retro and introspection, but not paralytic introspection. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just, you go so far inside your head about stuff that you lose the context of like, Hey, we're about to play this like gigantic show. And uh, I just dropped on Patty. Okay. So, <laughs> All right. So we're talking to Patty Schemmel. Very excited to uh, keep the conversation going. I, th- I think I think that was a uh, cue for me to wrap up that question. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I understand what you're saying. It just you get really far into your head and, and about your own like personal thoughts. Yeah. Is that what you're saying about? Yeah, and, and, and not. Have any sort of perspective about uh, about everything else, and and so actually, in a way, I would liken it to the John Fogerty book, in that same way where mm-hmm. there there's like a, there's sort of like a he's very upfront about his own feelings, uh, and it show he shows a lot of like the process of where he is on stuff, but it's not something where it, it's not the definitional part of of the book and the story. And I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I had someplace I was going with that, but I lost it. Sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so the um, so the single, oh, and I'm I get you know I'm sorry. I guess I guess I danced right past a very important part of whole, which was uh, uh, Kristen uh, joining up. Yeah, uh, who was huge, and uh, you know it wasn't until like years later that I, I recognized like oh no, like she's like powerful bass player like yeah. powerful the best bass, bass player. player yeah ever ever i like she raised my playing so much um just listening to how she approached um rhythms and ideas and stuff and she uh eric founder because janitor joe was on tour and he saw her play and and after she could audition so uh, and then from there on you know she helped build a lot of those songs and look through this. So, um, and then, um, just like she did a lot of, um, it, like she did some like melody ideas, I think too. And she was just so, um, just so heavy, you know? Yeah. But she's also, a force. Like, it was just <laughs> yeah. And then to watch too, you know, and, um, yeah. Watching her play was amazing. Um, she, I remember there was, like, after she died a few years, I remember going to see White Zombie and seeing Sean. Oh, yeah, Sean play, White Zombie. Yeah, and yeah. she had a similar, yeah, she had a similar sort of, like, they moved this in a similar way, and it really reminded me of Kristen, and I was like, you know, that was, um, you know, I, I, it was kind of neat to see, like, just how, like, Melissa's amazing, but in a different way, but, yeah. like, um, like, Kristen was, like, just, she was delicate, but also super solid. And yeah. she could like, like, you know, I think I talked about a moment in the book where we 
um, we're playing a, like our first show, like this little secret show at the off ramp, and she, something was wrong with the neck of um, Kristen's face. So she like puts it on the counter and grabs like a toothpick and like does all this like sort of like quick fix to like fix her, the neck like temporarily. And oh, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, you know, a, like that's this, a classic move. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, whoa, wow. You know, and that, those were the. That's the kind of player. That's the kind of woman and the player. That is fucking amazing. Like, know your fucking equipment. Work on it. Know it. Know how to change your strings. Know how to do. You know, that's like. And she, she was. Um, she was a badass. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And it's funny because this is not the first episode that Janitor Joe has been mentioned, which is, um, (laughs) I guess, shows what kind of show this is. Uh, But it's interesting that. yeah, I, I, she was such a huge part of the band and a huge part of the record, but, I mean, <laughs> so tragic. And it's so tragic that also, yeah. I almost feel like she didn't get her due in passing, which, of course, is not the most important thing. The most important thing would be that, you know, she passed, and that's way yeah. too young to die. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uns- like, kind of an unsung hero of, of that time period and just yeah amazing amazing player and and made for uh, you know what made that record really special too so you was a big contributor yeah. to that and a lot of times non-musicians maybe kind of undersell the interplay between bass and drums for the rhythm section it's such a, yeah. just a vital she, part of what makes it yeah. what it is she was like she every you can there's an interview i think with sean and paul that that um producers of that record where they talk in like an anniversary of that in Finn or something where they talk about how Kristen was like every single song was like first take. Yeah. She was that good. And that's yeah. and that's she, tough, man. Those some those are some big there's some big shoes to fill, right? Like you're you're just not gonna yeah. get another Kristen. And uh, Yeah. I know. And I had a I struggled with that when we were trying to get another bass player and I just like toward for a while there I just I I didn't you know think it could happen and and got so like angry like you know that you know that just uh, that she was gone and and just that was our situation um so you know when Melissa showed up it was she was she's a bit of a um sort of um kind of like a she, she was a, a bit of a bright light, so yeah. you know that sort of energy was good. And she um, was gentle, and she has a spiritual side. So somehow that was what we needed. And she um, uh, she could play the parts, and she learned them. And then you know, and then she added her own style to it, which bringing that big great. Montreal energy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Canadian Canadian power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was good for me because I was so like growing up where I grew up, we were close to the Canadian border. So yeah, all yeah. I did was listen I could tune in to, you know, C D C with the Brave New Waves and, and watch you know, I watched Beachcombers, I watched um, you know, uh all the Canadian shows. And so I would talk to her about Canadian bands and Canadian shows and she'd be like, Really? You know about that? Like, yes. I do. Right. Yeah. So it it was really cool to be able to freak out about Canada. And she's so patriotic about her country. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's just Canada. 
you know. Well, and I, a lot of Canadians yeah. are, but I found specifically yeah. uh, <laughs> folks from Quebec definitely have have. Uh, there's a certain type of like pride that that comes, and like uh-huh. it's actually really endearing once you understand it. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that I've been like, huh? Like what? What? What are you so stoked about? <laughs> and then you're like, oh no, I get yeah. it. I get it. This is I get it. Okay. Yeah. And again, because that's it's, it's, growing up with American exceptionalism it, and whatnot, you know, it's it's hard to get it through your right. head sometimes as a dumb kid speaking to myself. Isn't it easier to be a big band in Canada, though? Like, it is because they, like, they, they have a... Um, and I go, what? Yeah. Well, they also have a... There, there's certain governmental dispensations. Right. There's like radio... Yeah. There's rules that radio has to play a certain amount of uh, Canadian bands kind per... Canadian... Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. like Sloan is a great band because they're Sloan, not because they're yeah. getting you know an assist but it's definitely easier right. to be a band for sure mm-hmm. not that yeah. sloan is the only band but it's the first band that came to mind and no they're brilliant <laughs> and, and they're great i they're like platinum, them. Yeah. <laughs> platinum blonde for any canadians out there platinum blonde anyone yeah <laughs> look at some i could go off i can go off on so many yeah so chillwack yeah <laughs> well do, right. doa I mean, right i mean there you go yeah of course which I, which I I love the story in the book about uh was I think it was the DOA show you got arrested at right? Was I it? got arrested at the DOA show. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, being yeah. being young and into punk rock, it's the, the, the stuff that happens. But it, it, I I also that was interesting yeah. that it, that was sort of kind of like a minor detail in what the time was sort of like a war on all ages shows. Uh, that was uh-huh. happening in Seattle yeah. culturally, which I thought that was, you know, you don't hear about that. And it's, and especially you don't hear about that from the perspective of somebody that was like there, that's like those kinds of shows were for, you know, people drumming along to riffraff in their, in their room. And they come in from Marysville <laughs> to go see the show, you know, like, although yeah. I don't, I don't know if that was, it was like a, it was, it was like a treasure hunt. So, you know, you find it. Uh, someone or a group of people that are like you and then you you know like I remember making friends with other like-minded punk rock kids in, in Everett yeah, yeah. and then we go to Seattle we go to the punk rock show and you don't know how long this you know venue is going to be there because they're right, like, yeah. backing down on that and might be so gone in a month that, who knows then, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but um but then also you know finding uh seeing the same you know people at each show like wow that like I remember seeing like cool people at children like, wow, that guy with the GBH on his coat is cool. And, you know, saw him at this show or, you know, just such a rare group of kids. And there was the cool kids. And then there was, you know, the new waivers. And then it, it was, and then there was the bands like, you know, like Mark Arm grew up in Seattle. So he was in bands since he was a kid. And yeah. Like Mr. Epp in the calculations, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had that and, tape. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, Andrew Wood was in Malfunction, and I saw Malfunction play yep. a ton, and then, you know, ended up being, in, uh, you know, there was always that sort of, like, rock, punk rock mix, you know, that, like, yeah. Malfunction was sort of like a like a hair metal punk rock band. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I they came to my knowledge because of the Melvins cover. Uh, the, oh yeah, which is great. Yeah, with your heart not, yeah, with your heart not in your hands. Yep. What a great cover. Yeah, they actually yeah, played. They that played that on recent tours, and I was like, "Oh wow, I have this really? seven inch. That's awesome!" Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I think that's Steve McDonald because Steve McDonald is like a big nerd for pulling out stuff like that in a good uh, way. Love you, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I love Steve. <laughs> um, uh, the um, 
Yeah, it's a Deep Six compilation. Yeah, that that was like a this one's for the true heads sort of uh uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. <choice. laughs> so it's like wow, so, yeah. the malfunction cover. That's that's a deep cut. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but, it's but, a good song. It is a good yeah. song. But I don't necessarily yeah. think that people are listening to this show to hear me talk about uh, malfunction covers with you. Uh, right. Maybe yeah. they are. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't um, know. I, I, so let's go back to the record. So Live Through This comes out, and it's you know mo- monster record, but, I mean, it, there's tragedy, like, all around it, on, like, both sides of it. And, yeah. I mean, it's heavy to have someone in your life leave period uh doubly so when it's somebody that you're that close with and then also to have it be like let's not kid ourselves like one of the major cultural touchstones of a decade uh i mean that that i it's unimaginably heavy i've had loss in my life from suicide i've had lost my life from drugs from many different things but none of them like at that level, and none of, certainly none of them. The week I was it the week before the album came out, something along those lines, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think a lot of uh, for me that a lot of that time I was, uh, you know, I had my own drug problem as well, yeah, and right. also, you know, but um, yeah, it just it just to be. Um, no, I still, it's, there's still things that, um, I don't know if I've totally sorted it, you know, do you ever sort that stuff? You know, I don't know. I, I, yeah. um, I really, um, I think, you know, there's so many things I could say, but that, you know, sometimes I'll like from like, just down to the most ridiculous thing, like, you know, being, a, seeing some guy at, at the Target store with a Nirvana shirt on and stuff like that. Like you take it <laughs> right, from yeah. the beginning to the, and then, and it's like, wow, you know, it kind of puts some perspective, but it's still, you know, I'll, I just have how I, the way I feel about it and um, how, what, you know, how important he was. Like I have to say that a, a lot of people um, thought differently about gay people because Kurt said it's okay to yep. be gay, you know. That well, and that's that's huge. That's huge, and that that harkens back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Like having those voices that, yeah. right? You know, maybe it seems yeah. obvious and, to like your fellow people that are are in the thing, but to have somebody sort of push that envelope and and even in, in just such a yeah a clear, concise statement to make people like rethink things, and that's that's yeah. how we grow as a society. Hopefully, as a society, <laughs> yeah. And also what he, you know, besides all the, the millions of gifts that he gave and, you know, in, in, to the world. But I think about myself as an addict and, and um, in recovery, I think about that I was exactly like him in that regard. But um, it, it doesn't, you know, a lot of you think in your life, if I just had a band that, you know, if I just had made a, a bunch of money if I just had a house I, if I you know when you're using things well everything will be okay if I just had these things and, and he had those things and it still wasn't okay right, you know right. it wasn't you know and um, so and, and he didn't see he didn't want to he didn't want to choose that the life on you know of uh, being clean and sober you know so that and you know I, I 
I and with Kristen it being that being the, an accident, you know, that she OD'd. Um, right, because she she had kind of cleared it out of me. her system. It could have been. Yeah, yeah. Right, it could have been. You know, I I'm no different from either of them. You know, I had moments where I I could have, you know, died by my own hand or you know by. So you know, I think about that too. Um, and what what do I do with that? That I talk about recovery and I yeah. must service, right? And I wrote a book and I, you know, um, but uh, yeah, it isn't, it's pretty rare that somebody like him comes along in the world and then um, actually is your friend, you know, which is pretty amazing. But, yeah, uh, and, and not even just to see... And I think you hit an important point, uh, too, with just, like, you know, the person that, quote-unquote, has it all, but is still miserable. I mean, look at Anthony Bourdain, right? You know, like, the, for, yeah. for a recent example. Yeah. Like, it's not... All the all the fame and money and resources in the world doesn't change... Doesn't change that. Doesn't, doesn't change, like, what you're feeling. And, it, yeah, to have all of that happening and to be like, oh, this just happened to my friend. I mean, it's impossibly mm-hmm. heavy, but like, I, I, I mean, and I think you do, you do a great job of your, of accounting in it, uh, in the book and you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily tough talk, but it's, it's just, it's very honest. And it's, it's something where, you know, the, the cliche with, with the, uh, the, the behind the music documentary, right. Of, of like, Oh, well then they went into recovery and you know, this and that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this, this arc that's like well-traveled. We all know it. But I think you actually brought something new and brought some humanity to it that, I don't know, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it was, it was impressive. And I, I think it was very brave of you to, to put it all out there like that because it's. I, um, I, I'm the same. Yeah, I come from, like, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself being at that, you know, his intervention and saying anything except, you know, I'm doing the same thing. It, it, he, there was so much more on him because he, you know, he was with Nirvana was the business, and the, you know, uh, and and then to have a partner, you know, he and he and Courtney together, you know, in love, and then also strung out together, and then, um, and then for her to say, okay, it's time to get clean, you know, because she loves him and wants to yeah, save him, but yeah. he's also like, where's where's my where's my partner, and you know, feeling that betrayal. And, you know, I know that, but, um, and then being alone with it. Um, and then that's what, you know, makes the choice of, um, it's heavy. ending it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, so, <sighs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, yeah. I guess that's my great epiphany is that it's heavy, but I mean, <laughs> to, to, to state yeah. the brutally obvious, that's, that's, um, yeah, it's a lot. So, mm-hmm. so that happens, and then also this thing that you've worked so hard on this record comes out, and yeah. those have to be like reconciled as two things that are happening while you have your own struggles going on as well. Like how how much of it is just like how much can you absorb at that at that moment in time? Because there's so much happening, and it, it just seems like it's a very unique situation. I can't I can't think of of anything even remotely as a corollary uh, uh-huh. I, emotionally I, well they, so after uh, Kurt died then I, I went into rehab for the first time so then right. I'm 
plain and sober, and then Kristen dies, and then I'm still, and then, you know, that summer, and then the record, you know, the record comes out, and then we're supposed to go on tour. So it's, I've, it's, um, dealing with those feelings, you know, right, and then also uh, trying to stay clean, but then also um, dealing with, the, like, the fact that, well, this was your dream, you put your work into it, and you want this, right, you want to you want to have this record do its thing, you know, you want to record, you want to tour. And so that's what we did. And, um, it, in a way it was good just to go and go play drums every day and go on tour, you know, just get into the, get into the the rhythm of it. (laughs) Yeah. But then eventually, you know, there's those moments on tour and I talk about in the book, um, where it those the, those those thoughts that you should probably try to you know work on and and, and deal with they they creep in you know we're we're in a um um you know, like with Courtney there were so many there was moments here and there where I knew um she was thinking about and in the middle of you know a song will come up and she'll, you know and I know that while we're playing we thought and we're just sort of like writing or just making noise that what there was a few moments where I knew it was like about him and I could just feel that. And then, you know, the anniversary, the first year when, uh, we were in, um, Europe was the anniversary of his, you know, the first year of death. And we were playing, um, you know, I think we were playing a TV show in, um, France and this kid came up to me and he was just so adamant about um in the studio was like had this paper and he was like you had to give it to me and and I was like well okay and he, I took it and Melissa said because she speaks French she said he says you have to read this it's very important and wow, so okay. okay so um and then after we did the show we went me and Melissa are back you know, in the dressing room, and I'm like, "What is this?" And she says, "Oh, it's it's a fanzine, and it's an interview that Kurt did because he was only doing fanzine interviews." Oh, right, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that last Nirvana tour, right, right, yeah. And um, and I said, "Oh, can you well read it to me?" And uh, she re- reads it, and Kurt says, um, "The interviewer asked, well, how how is your wife and um, your child, or something?'" And he says, "I don't talk about my wife." You know, my family, but I will tell you that Old just recorded an amazing record and she has the greatest drummer, you know, like some really oh, yeah. kind, kind things. And, and so she read that, and that was sort of like this message from it, it was such an amazing moment to hear that, you know, because yeah. um, he really believed in how I played and we really respected each other. And we just, it was just nice to get that a year later. Um, and so I think, you know, our friends that are gone, I see them in different places. You know, I hear yeah, Kristen yeah. or I see her and I never, and another bass player or I, you know, that those are the moments that are really special, you know. You almost get an and, echo of them and get like a small snippet. Right. Yeah. 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 And then there's those shocking moments like that, you know, the dude at the, eating the hot dog at the Target with the Nirvana shirt <laughs> right. on. Like, it's those weird moments. Like, oh my God, Kurt, you know, and I'll say to him in my believe it can you believe it you know like those moments um where you know a nirvana t-shirt's just like you know a classic rock 
Jimi Hendrix <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. It's and it's hey, I got this at Target. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Who'd have thought? Which is which is yeah. which is a mind blower for um Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like where I where I grew God. up, it's like if you if you wanted a punk rock t shirt, you pretty much had to see them play, you know, or you know, yeah, or uh, you know, drive drive an hour and a half to uh, the big city and like go to the the cool record store where maybe they might have something, but uh, you know, like yeah, damn kids, you got it easy now. <laughs> well, I do internet. Um, well, thank well, thank you, thank you for for sharing that. That's I know it's you know. It's it's impossible to avoid, but it's doesn't make it any less heavy, right? right. So it's, it's like yeah. what are you gonna do? And yeah. and I think that you know one one of the things I like about the book is that you you shine a, like a lot of light into the darkest corners, and you know it, it's in a way that it's informative and and empathetic, but it doesn't seem like the least bit exploitive and it, it it's you know you it's part of the fabric and, and i think that that's an, that's a good yeah. way to put it because it yeah it's about i wanted my i want to tell my story and i'm going to be honest and i didn't want to talk about tell anybody else a secret and the first person i'm going to tell you know it, it talk about personally is myself you know and yeah um and you know other people involved in these stories were just there you know um so, uh, yeah, and that really, the it was such a, an amazing time. But also, um, as my drug addiction is exactly the same as you know the guy that is the plumber down the street. You know, what I mean, we're sad, we're the same. You know? <laughs> right? It's the yeah, same yeah. thing. <laughs> you know, he's doing. You know, except you know, he might not smuggle it into brazil but i mean it's the same sort of thing and yeah yeah so totally. I, I know you know like yeah the fleetwood mac cover yeah that was a uh, rico Kasich produced that right yeah was that cool yes. i mean was, was how, how was that guy? really cool um he was great he was really like kind of quiet and just like really like um i just did my parts and he made a suggestion and i did what you know his suggestion and he liked it and it was really smooth and easy, I remember. And, like, my drum part, I guess, you know, it's, it's not, it's way different than the original. Um, yeah, totally. It's got a way different that, vibe. Cause so, it, yeah, so it kind of, like, pushes the song into a different direction. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I had that was one of those moments where I'm sitting at my drums and I'm thinking, holy shit, you know, it's, it's one of my rock and roll idols. Yeah. And I'm working, you know, there's there, there, those where you freak out quietly and then you just like, just keep it together. Keep it together. Don't be, don't be a weirdo. You know? <laughs> don't, don't make it weird. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, um, and that was for the, uh, that was for the Crow soundtrack. If I remember it, the, uh, the second, yeah. the second one. There's a, there's a rumor yeah. that you guys tried it a couple different ways too. Like there was sort of like a, you didn't, we weren't necessarily, didn't have that, that vibe as the, uh, like you had like different versions of it that you like had worked up of like, okay, let's try this way. Let's really? try that way. Yeah. Um, is that true? We worked on it. Well, we worked on it when we were in New Orleans. There's the, uh, secret New Orleans song recordings that we did a, a bunch of new song ideas in New Orleans and none of it got ever seen the light of day. Um, 
and I lo- we recorded in a um, no Masonic temple, and the sound was the drums were amazing. So we did a bunch of these you know, ideas and sort of fleshed them out, and then came up with that version of Gold Dust Woman. So I don't know. I mean, all I remember is just that version. I mean, with the drums like that. So, yeah, and it's it's. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of like some of my favorite covers are they don't sound exactly like the original right it has its own vibe to it yeah and that definitely qualifies yeah. for that like i i'm i'm gonna flat out tell you like i only the only familiarity i have with fleetwood mac was like my parents playing it i, I wasn't actually yeah. familiar with that record so like i was like oh that's a fleetwood mac cover <laughs> i had no idea yeah or like um the, the ministry did a cover of uh lay lady lay the um oh they the did yeah song. at the um so good yeah yeah it's 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 one of the few bob dylan covers i really like actually <laughs> yeah yeah and that sort of that idea of like taking it and making it a little different in that way so yeah. uh the the unplugged thing the the whole unplugged uh-huh. yeah how'd you feel about um that carol king the the hit he hit me and felt oh, like a kiss yeah. right yeah that was um we, we started doing that on tour a bit um we were um there's a band called matter rose that mm-hmm. opened for us that i was a big fan of and they were doing another they were doing sort of a a girl group song and i forget and i think that that started a conversation with us and then courtney um looked up that song and that we started we did that song because um it was sort of dark but it had it was also that we kind of made it more dark but the original isn't that dark <laughs> no the, the one yeah, so, by, yeah. The, by the crystals is it's kind of yeah you know, like uh leader of the pack style like from that era right <laughs> like, you yeah. know <laughs> yeah Except for it's like, oh my god, it, really? <laughs> like that's what it's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I mean that, that just it it's it struck me because uh, that that actually was the first time that song came to my attention, and you know I was mm-hmm. like, is this a parody or or is this like I was like, oh no, that that really is a oh wow, okay, okay, all right. But I, yeah. I think was the idea yeah. to kind of like steal its power and kind of put it back. Yeah. And make it yeah, yeah. the lyrics, you know, yeah. Harsh and, um, again, harsh toke. <laughs> right, I know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and that, um, yeah, that that I I was I remember when we started working on the stuff for the unplugged. It was it was it was really tense because it's about stripping down. You yeah, know, and you're really bare. Lay it so, bare. Yeah, um, yeah. So the work. And we worked with Hal Wilner, which was another moment in time when I was like, holy shit, um, working with one of, you know, Hal Wilner, um, on Saturday Night Live, you know, he's an amazing musician, as well. And, um, there was a moment in, in Lou Reed's, you know, uh, best friend, you know, friend. So there's a moment in time where we're working on the unplugged stuff with Hal, and then the, this guy comes in and he goes, Hal, we got a phone call and he's like, not now. And the guy goes, it's Lou. And I was like, holy shit. Lou's <laughs> on the phone right now. Yeah, yeah. And those, <laughs> yeah. Were you like, Lou who? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lou Reed, dummy. <laughs> Lou, yeah. <laughs> well, and that, yeah, so that's, but but again, that's 
the whole the whole idea is to present the songs in a stripped down format, and that, that's that's yeah. you know there's no cover, right? There's no <laughs> yeah yeah you don't have that distortion and all that, and so and you need to play quietly and and just listen, and that like brings up a lot of your musicianship, you know, because you have to really um, really got to listen to each other, and it just it was it was amazing, and then and at the end of that after that performance. We go to play a live show at Roseland, and I remember sitting at my drum and hitting them and going, "God, um, like one week of tippy taps, and then now I'm like I've lost my power." You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I was so like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's especially when you're um, well, because it's not like you know the only thing you do is power, but when you're a rock drummer, you know uh-huh. you're it, it's you're not. The, the brushes and sticks that's, are are different. Yeah, yeah. That's when that's when you're real. You know, when you're. Yeah, no. That's that's when your you know talent really comes out. Yeah, you gotta you know start thinking about um, because everything's quiet. They're gonna hear it. Uh, so I do. I do want to talk about uh, Celebrity Skin. I think it's been covered pretty adequately in, in other things. Has Michael Beinhorn ever issued you an apology? <laughs> no. <laughs> but Fuck I, that guy. I've seen somebody showed me a, a video of him saying, you know, him talking about how the moment, it was like, this interviewer was like, so the whole record, and he says, well, it was one of those instances where, you know, we started recording and worked on, we, you know, and then. You know, red light fever or something. You know, like soon we started recording, I started to choke or something, and I was like, "Well, okay." Uh, but um, he—that's he, what he does. He has he, has he fires drummers. That's what he does. That's like he, yeah. has, he has a long yeah. history for it. Yeah. And he brings in his dude. And, right, right, right. I mean, it's like yeah. his thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, you know. I mean, like I said, I think it's I, I, I think it's been covered adequately in in in, in other media, but it's it's, it's such a unique like yeah. it's almost like and, and, and for me to not for me to um, you know because I fought so hard to be accepted as a you know a quality drummer you know yeah. and, because I'm a woman and you know and for that to happen, which is a typical thing I, that he does, right? But also, um, I didn't know because of the world I came from, you know, just punk rock. You play your part, you know. Yeah, yeah. You write them, you play. Um, you're the band. I didn't know it's that, like, that. It's a band. That's and you're a common a thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, but then, all of a sudden, you know, it was like the people that came to to my aid at those times were like, you know, the, like all the tech guys that had done records in the '80s were like, oh my god, Patty. You know, like these long-haired drum techs were like, Patty, that's what they did on the old Cinderella record, you know, or yeah. that's what they did on Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Izzy didn't play those parts, you know, and I was like, what, you know. <laughs> Well, and, and it's like a, a, a thing. It's a common thing. So, um, and now we, I think about it and, you know, it, we, there's definitely things I would have done differently. And I do have a part in that. You know, I could have, I wasn't prepared for that. You know, yeah. I, I could have worked so much harder. But, you know, it's, um, and I still to this day, like, I don't love going in the studio. There's only a few times that I, I like doing it, but, um, well, it's a horrifying thing to do because it's kind of like you're almost set up into this impossible. Well, you were set up into this impossible situation. It's like a John Henry versus the machine thing, except for the fact that, like, oh, it's already been the ending to this story has been written. 
Like it, like literally, you. I love that. I love that. Uh, that comparison. Right? Yeah, because you know, because yeah. there's just yeah. you're gonna just gonna you're you're gonna rip yourself apart trying to do it, and like you're uh-huh. just it's not yeah. it's not fair. It's not achievable, and I don't know. Like it's yeah, it was frankly horrifying. Yeah. Like uh, yeah, and I love like other drummers that it's happened to us. You know, come talk, and and that's always been really a relief to say, oh yeah. You know, in different situations when that happens. And, and nowadays, I think, like, it was all about the, the beginning of Pro Tools was going on at that time. And so he's staring at a line on a computer, you know, and, like, when when you're not, like, yeah, in click track and stuff. And now, today, when I'm, like, working in Ableton and I'm working on my drum part, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, this is, like, really, like, you know, these lines are very, like... It's all computer, and it's all like lined up, and it, and it's uh, you know quantized and da da da, and it's like yeah, it sounds fucking great, but it's not a um, you know it's not a person. Yeah, there's no you know, humanity to it. There's no humanity yeah. to it. I mean, yeah. I, I I respect it. It's great. If you want it like that polish, and you know I like it. Sometimes when I'm writing my songs, I just plop on a you know a regular old you know uh, organic sounding sample of a drum set, you know, but. You know, it doesn't, there's no room for that mistake where, you know, Kurt says, keep it, you know, yeah. like that, that doesn't happen <laughs> when you're working with, you know, uh, drum track number four, two, seven, <sighs> sound, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, but, um, and, yeah, and I learned a lot. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You learned what a prick Michael Michael is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well... I, on, on the on the behalf of musicians and music fans everywhere, fuck that guy, because uh, <laughs> that's oh, yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Coming up next week, Michael Beinhorn. Respond. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, all right. Um, so the, and then and that follows. Like there was a time. There was a time that you were you were homeless for a bit. You ended up in the in the sober living space mm-hmm. doing the doggy daycare. Yeah. Right? You know, always, yeah, always uh, in and out of rehab. I went to rehab like 27 times. There's a whole section in the book that, I mean, there's a recovery through line through the book. Right. Um, and, you know, that moment at the studio was like my first choice, you know, was I'm going to go get high and then blow it all. You know, there was yeah. just moments of going on tour, getting clean, coming home, going to rehab, getting strung up, you know, all uh, in and out. And finally, you know, that, that cliche uh, you're going to lose everything. You know, they say it to you when you're like, right, I'm not, you know, I'll be fine. Yeah. And oh no, not do. me. Yeah. You, know, you lose it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you're, then you're, you know, you're I'm on the, the exception. pushing a shopping cart, you know, that, yeah. And your goal is to get a better wheel on the shopping cart. That's your day right there. But, um, and, and scoring dope. So that, that was where it went, you know, and, um, that, that's what had to happen, you know, for me. And so to, um, then to rebuild from there was the thing, you know, like to come to, in 2005, get clean and sober for the last time and decide that it's not, I'm, you know, not being a drummer in a rock band. It's not, you know, I can be something else. There's more to me than that. And right. discovering what, you know, and then rebuilding, getting a day job, being responsible, you know, working at a dog daycare and, you know, them giving me the keys and trusting me to walk up at the end of the day, you know. Right, right. And trusting that's going to work out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right, right, right. And then rebuilding the steam and then finding out, you know, like someone saying, well done today, you know, like it has nothing to do with drums. They don't know who I am. They don't know, you know, and then 
you know, having a, you know, a community of recovering people and then sort of considering that there's, you know, a lot more to life than just. Yeah, yeah, and, it's, and then they don't... Being in a rock band, you yeah. know. Yeah, and they don't have those preconceived notions. Learning. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, uh, just deciding that, uh, you know, getting to a point again with drums where it's fun, and, you know, I just want to play and have fun again. Do you have any any uh, good memories for the uh, Juliet Lewis record, the Juliet and the Licks? Yeah. Um, um, I, I like Juliet was like a like a power all the time, like never slowed down. That was kind of like a lot of energy and really present. So I, I really liked that was a different experience for me having, you know, like the singer be, you know, we're going to be there, you know, practice is at 7 p.m. and then show up at 7. You know, that was a, like a, and it just, um, that it was kind of cool because she was sort of discovering a lot of new things. So that was, kind of interesting to um, kind of be on that ride with her where she's like um, discovering new music and to share stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, um, and then to do, a, you know, to do the work Tour was kind of fun to go back and do play shows and um, yeah, I um, I liked it. There's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's kind of little funny stories here and there about it, but yeah, I remember off the top of it, my head. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. and, and that—that's that, why it doesn't need like a forensic analysis necessarily. But I just think it's—it's—it's it's, uh-huh. it's, it's interesting that it's almost kind of like uh, glossed over in some cases, and it's sort of like you know that's the good tunes, and like yeah, she's good at what she's doing, and I think it's—it's. It's, I almost feel like uh, maybe it would have been received a little more if it hadn't been under her name necessarily. But then I don't know if it would have the same profile. I don't know. What do I know? Just I'm just some guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and like a lot of people that are like when when you're an actor and then you're also a you want to be a, in a in a rock band that's already negative. Yeah, points. there's there's just you know people there's are a well like, oh, stigma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who can do that? You can't. It's tough. I, I so, always I always think of, I always think of the example. My friend. Um, my friend and, and excellent drummer Chris Bullock, he was the uh, bar back at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and he was around for uh, Steven Seagal and his blues band played, and it was just total, like, you know, lawyer blues, but he had, like, a whole bunch of, like, you know, contract killer session players playing with them, and including one, yeah. like, Bobby Bird-style, like, hype man that, you know, was like, it's the number one blues man in the country, Steven yeah, Seagal. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like everybody has to be on this um like emperor's new clothes thing with that, yeah. with that person like everybody's like playing that like doing that script like yeah you know this, you, that's it you're you're it is yeah, you you like what what kind of blues does steven Cole have you know yeah, you gotta right, say exactly feeling it like it's, it's it. yeah yeah and and like you know whatever good on steven seagal if he wants to play the blues good right. on him you I'm know sure he's got some blues somewhere yeah, yeah, no sense. It's not. It's not my thing. Yeah. It's just a thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I do. Can you tell me? I love the circuit side too. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the yeah. guy. Like, I'm a, well, I'm a big Radio Sloan fan. Wow. I'm big. I'm a big uh, fan of the Need and uh-huh. whatnot. And, and that was a band that I, yeah. I thought had a lot of promise, and I was very sad when it stopped. Uh, yeah, no one talked about that. So, yeah, that was like a major. Like at that time when I was attacking that music, I was in. Like, 
June Juliet Lewis, and then I did a craziness of uh, I did a couple. I did one song with Pink for like some shows. Yeah, that's like I a, forgot about. It. Yeah, 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 soundtrack. Yeah. For a soundtrack, and so I was doing that and Circuit Side. And so Circuit Side is like math rock, but like uh, calculus. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, like, and, like, like one one step Judas Priest, one like two step Breadwinner. Yeah, like it's it's an interesting. Right, right, band. right. Yeah, so that was amazing. Like to make to put that together and to you know exercise my brain that way. So that was, and I have so much respect. Radio is such an amazing player. Great and, player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another person that just like can pick up their instrument and just command, you know, like with me, you know. Yeah, I mean, with uh, it always blew me away with the need that was, you know, it was just, it was just Radio and, and Rachel, and like it just like this sounds like a full five piece band somehow. Like I don't know how they're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> but it's so great. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't have any specific circuit side questions, and the fact that I like that band, I was sad that it uh, flamed out. Cool. <laughs> uh, can you? I, and I want I want to be mindful of your time. Well, can we talk about upset? Is that okay? Yeah, that's totally fine. Okay. So- we did, um, we just recorded um, last summer and the summer before, we recorded a bunch of songs with Steve McDonald. Oh, no kidding. Um, awesome. That's great. Yeah, at the, at, Rec, at the Red Cross slash Melvin's practice space. We um, recorded like eight songs, nine songs, and put them out on uh, Lauren Records. And you can get it on, um, it's, it's self-titled Upset on Spotify. It's pop punk. It's like, me and Allie from uh, Vivian Girls and yeah. Rachel, well, um, was Rachel? It's, um, Nicole from Whatever and um, Lauren from Benny and the Jets, uh, Rodriguez. So it's fun. It was like really good. Yeah, it's a like good indie rock. Punk. Yeah, it's like a. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, and that's on the. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting because I listened to that. I didn't know it was you. And until like later on, I was like, yeah. oh. That's Patty on, on, yeah. on there. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, it was so much fun playing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like it. And then uh, Death Valley Girls, too. Uh, right? That yeah. Was, that was another, you know, I started out playing Larry's band. We started a band together and then I leave. <laughs> it never sticks, huh? Uh, <laughs> right. No, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I, I have, you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I mean, it's not like with, we get along great and, it, and it's fun and stuff. So I don't, maybe he can add to that when you talk to him. But um, so we did the first Death Valley girl. I was on the first cassette that it came out on Burger, and then um, well, I think it's mostly about touring. You know, I yeah. Um, at the time, I I just had a, a kid. I had my daughter like early yeah. on in 2010. So then I was like, we're not going to tour. So um, you got yeah, yeah you got to so be there. You got to be present, right? So right. <laughs> so um, yeah. So then, uh, but that was. Great, because that was like kind of Larry sort of in, like will ex- try out all the different influences of style. Like this is sort of a garage rock vibe, and then you know we we were in a band that was sort of shoegaze, and then we were in yeah. you know um, so it, and they're they just they have a record coming out. They're on Suicide Squeeze, and the next record's coming out pretty soon. Oh, cool! They're awesome. supposed to be on tour, yeah, right now, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But this a... new record's amazing. <laughs> I just I heard a few songs and it's really amazing. So it'd be cool. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, that's another thing that's a unifying 
factor right now is nobody's on tour <laughs> as we, that, yeah. that, I mean, that's kind of where we came in. Right. But you know, quarantine. Yeah. Life. I do. Uh, yeah. so, Oh, can you very briefly, uh, can you talk about the rock and roll camp for girls experience and how you got involved? Yeah. With that? Yeah. When I, um, when we were talking earlier about, um, just about uh, the, having coffee, you know, like when I was talking about uh, players like Christian or radio yeah. that, um, that are, you know, know how to change their strings and know how to take care of their instruments. <laughs> right, and, right. Do all the things. things yeah. Are, um, <laughs> yeah. And, and are, you know, confident, you know, these are things that when, when you're, I remember growing up and learning like what the names of the drums were and like um, how to change a drum head. And, like these were scary moments kind of like, cause when I walked into a music store, they, they didn't really talk to me, you know, and I felt kind of talked down to yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've literally seen it with female bandmates. I'm like, uh, you know, so, she knows more than yeah. you do about so, this, right? <laughs> yeah. So like with rock and roll camp for girls, it's like, we, we talk about those moments. We talk about, we give them the skills and talk about how to, you know, how to make a band, how to uh, write a song, um, give them some skills just to start off and let them go from there, you know, and support that. And the, just the idea of, being able to, you know, we, they start a band and then they write a song and then write lyrics and decide as a group what they want to talk about. Yeah, and yeah. then we do a show at the end of the week. And um, it's, it's so amazing to see that that happen to each, you know, that sort of magic that happens to each of those bands, you know, they, from eight to 17 year old to be able to, like, I know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah, you get to see to it happen. That's so, that's so beautiful. Yeah, and then to talk about what you want to talk about and to share your work. Um, and and it's just, it is also, like, it's about self-esteem building. It's about community. And it's just um, been so important for me. And um, I, I like to just share what I can with um, girls that want to play music. Yeah. You know? so, and do you yeah. find that there are, do you find that there are girls that gravitate towards the drums and are, are yeah. looking to do that? Yeah, the ones that, yeah, there's the ones that are like try out all the different instruments each yeah, year, like you know, yeah, yeah. and then there's my drummers that come back and like each and some of them actually play and some of them don't and they just have fun. And then, you know, some of them are like, um, become amazing drummers. And then it's also like the songs that it, are, it's, this is the is this is the like this is a, a perfect example of punk rock. I think the, the way they write a song and then sing, you know, it's like no rules, just kind of just do it. Yeah, think about what you want. You, yeah. There's not not about how like you're not supposed to be do it really well or you know. It's, yeah, I love that too. You know, uh, you know, it's great to see, and it's something that I I'm was super stoked to hear you were involved with because I was like, oh, that's awesome, like going to learn, learn from the best, <laughs> you know, learn from someone yeah. that's like, knows exactly what you're up against too. It's, you know, yeah. and that's context is everything. And forewarned is forearmed, right? Like it's, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, I, I, I'm really glad. Uh, it's Patty. It's been, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for, for doing this. Likewise. Uh, the last thing I, and I always ask everybody this at the tail end of it. And it's a simple mm-hmm. question is uh, why do you do what you do? Uh, uh, mm, I guess 
it keeps me uh, makes me happy. It keeps me alive. You know, that's what um, it saved me originally. I have to say, like if we're talking about drunk specifically, um, that was my release. That's where um, that's where I discovered my power. You know, and uh, that it's been my longest relationship. I have to say, besides being a parent. So, um, and it's, uh, it's my safe place, you know, so that's why. Well, I, for one, am really glad that you're alive and thank you for all the music. Thank you. And thanks so much for doing this. And thanks, thanks for writing a great book. It's awesome. So oh, thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to talk. I love your show. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, please, uh, stay safe, take care and talk to you later. You too. Okay. Bye. Ah, there she goes. There she goes. Patty Shumble. You know what? Let's hear something relatively new. This is uh, tried and true. The band upset.
that, tried and true, uh, totallyupset.bandcamp.com. That's the one that came out uh, last year, right? Yeah, November of last year. Uh, recorded and mixed by Steve McDonald, friend of the show, Steve McDonald's here. Um, okay, so let's something new, something old, something borrowed, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> here's, here's the song you probably already know. I am the girl you know can't look you. Almost tricked me with that uh, <laughs> the part at the end. It's been a while since I heard that song. Uh, Miss World, Hole, <clears throat> Patty Shemmel on the drums uh, with four Z's drums. Is this thing on? Uh, what a treat that was. That was great. Uh, so get that book. Hit so hard. I should have asked her where they should buy it. I, it's on Amazon. You, you know, that? that's um, not ideal, maybe. <laughs> but support your local bookseller. Hit So Hard, a memoir by Patty Schemmel. It's, um, well, if I didn't make it adequately clear, 
over the course of the interview. Are we going? It's really good. Just check it out. Upset, totally upset.bandcamp.com. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. The show airs on Radio Nope. Radionope.com. Usually on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Radioneutron.com for the archives. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal for advanced episodes. One dollar a month will get you there. No sponsors, no ads, no kidding. This is my farewell transmission. Thanks everyone for listening, for for caring about the show. It means a lot to me. Mr. And, uh, and Mrs. America, I thank you. Ships at sea. And I thank you. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Thank you, Patty Shamel. You're awesome. What else? Uh, live oh listeners, God. Sabbath Sundays coming up next. Fifty thousand watts of power. There's some cool stuff coming up. Ionize the air. Alan Johannes, Steve Until, Alex Newport, all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, stay tuned. Thank you for your constant support. Do I have anything else to say? I don't think so. Uh, just thank you. That's it. Thank you. Sound into electricity. Stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? And as always, take it easy. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. 
plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? Emergency! 